A monk once asked Yunmen, what, are, what is the teaching of a whole lifetime? Yunmen said, an appropriate response. Good morning. Good to see you all. Good to be with you all. So today we are scheduled to hold Fusatsu, which is the time we all recite the 16 Bodhisattva precepts together. Fusatsu is a traditional event that is held on some regular basis in, in most Zen communities, especially in the Soto Zen, for the purpose of raising the intention to live our lives in accordance with the Buddha Dharma. And the timing of today's Fusatsu is not random. Last Sunday, we entered our fall Ango training period, which is intended to help us dive deeper into our practice and dissolve our self-centered barriers so we can live our lives in a way that is of benefit to all creation. And as in all traditional aspects of our practice, to dive deeper means to take full responsibility to investigate our thoughts, our words, and our actions, and to recognize that much of it is ruled by karma and by a false view of reality. This is the basic, a basic teaching in Buddhism. It's also the first aspect in the Eightfold Path right view or right understanding. Right view simply means seeing things as they really are, as they really are, unified, gapless, seamless, interconnected. And the challenge with seeing things as they really are is that conventionally, it is not what our senses convey and it is not the picture portrayed by our thoughts and emotions. The optical illusion of our perceptions create a discrepancy between our inner reality and the outer world. And it is falsely leading us to think that we are separate entities moving along time. And then to act in ways that follow this falsehood. Or in other words, we think and act in ways that go against reality instead of being in alignment with it. We argue, we judge, we compare, we resist, we discriminate, and we cause a great deal of harm to others and to ourselves. In the last teacher, last week, I spoke about seamlessness. And I mentioned that being in alignment, entering the flow or living in accordance with the Buddha Dharma requires a twofold engagement. And I want to bring it up again. The first aspect is to observe life directly and personally recognize that it is continual, it is integrated by nature. We cannot invent or create constancy, we can only realize it. And so the effort here is directed to intimate study of life by observation. And the second aspect is the observation of the one who is observing. 
the sense of a segmented reality can appear very real and convincing. And the key point here is to question our thought-based assumptions and, and lose the trust we put in them so we can shed light on the misalignment between thought and reality, between a static conceptual self and a dynamic nature of life. Being interconnected, being seamless, it is naturally dynamic, naturally moving, naturally not stuck. Even when we feel stuck, even when we feel worthless, even when we compare ourselves to others or others to ourselves. The recognition that we are misaligned and the shift towards living in accordance with the Buddha Dharma is a fundamental teaching in Buddhism. And so when Yunmen was asked, what is the teaching of a whole lifetime? He said simply, plainly, an appropriate response. What does it mean to respond appropriately? Appropriate to what, we may ask? And the answer to that question has everything to do with what we obey and what is propelling us to respond. If we obey a sense of separate existence, then our words and actions will be in accordance with that. And we will act in ways that are self-concerned and we will inevitably cause harm. In fact, we may not even care whether we cause harm or do good, as long as this one here has what it needs. On the other hand, if we obey the fundamental truth of interconnectedness, then our words and actions will be in accordance with that. And we will act in ways that naturally express deep concern for everyone and everything. So it's very important to examine what am I obeying rather than impulsively knee-jerk reaction after knee-jerk reaction act and react. She said this, he said that. How can they do this to me? I am the one, right? And we actually live our lives as if we are the center of the universe. Whether we think we are great or not, that's secondary. All of it is based on living my life as if I am the center and others or life is acting upon me and I need to react to that. That's not interconnected. That's not seamless. That's not dynamic. It is utterly static, right? By nature. So tra tra transitioning from a self-concerned way of being as we are to an all-inclusive way of being requires a paradigm shift of consciousness. And we need to maintain a determined practice over a long period of time. But as fearless bodhisattvas, we understand the urgency of the moment and we don't wait for any other time or any other place. We don't wait to become what we may think enlightenment means or enlightened person is. We don't wait. We do it now, today, with 
everything that's going on in the world and everything that's going on within ourselves. All the many conflicting narratives that are going on, all the internal arguments and conflicts and challenges, everything that's going on right now, today, we rise to the occasion, we rise to the moment, and we can ask, what does it mean to live this moment as a bodhisattva? What does it mean to obey the Buddha Dharma? And this is where Sila Paramita comes in, the practice of morality, which manifests through the 16 bodhisattva precepts. And this is an outline of an awakened living within a society. We need to recite them regularly and we need to maintain our resolve to uphold them even when we don't feel ready or awakened enough. Or simply saying, even if we don't feel enough. Right? It may, when we look at the Bodhisattva precepts, it may, may feel like something that is, well, for other people who are deeply awakened, but how can I do that? And that's not what practice is teaching us. Right? We always rise to the occasion right now. So the precepts represent the way an awakened person will manifest. And at the same time, they also lead to awakening when we maintain them well in our everyday life. Either way, they work. They work very well if we know how to meet them how to use them, if we know how to allow them to shed light on this moment. And when we boil down all the precepts, they simply, it simply is a vow to be in accordance with, with wisdom and to live in harmony with all creations, with everyone and everything. The mind says, but wait, how can I? Right? As long as the world is acting in, no, in, in insane ways, this is impossible. I would love to do that, but I'm going to wait for everyone to act in a specific way before I can follow the precepts. We don't wait. Even if you are the last person or the only person on earth that is following precepts, you follow precepts. Why? Because it's how you choose to live your life. Are we free to do that is the question. Because if it's about others behaving in a certain way or waiting for others to behave in a certain way, then I'm not free. I'm at the mercy of others. And until then, I have no other choice but to cause harm. Is that what we're saying? Is that what we're thinking? Look at it and you'll see that that's exactly what that means. So the Bodhisattva precepts represent the bottom line. This is where the rubber meets the road. 
and our practice is tested, being refined, honed, and actualized for the sake of all creations. So as bodhisattvas, we dedicate our practice to the realization of unity, which is the recognition that we are all liable for each other. Our words and actions, as well as our silence and non-action, will reverberate in all directions and will have a ripple effect on others and on our environment, as we clearly see. It's inevitable. The simple truth has, this simple truth has been taught to us throughout our entire history. And these days, it is also conveyed clearly to us through the way we are handling the pandemic as human beings. We have different opinions. People die. People suffer. But we have opinions. And we hold on to them and we grasp them dearly. And people die. And people suffer. And we suffer. So where are the precepts? What does it mean to practice? What does it mean to be a fearless bodhisattva? Where is the fear? Is it externalized? Is it out there? What is the source of that fear? We need to investigate. It takes a great deal of courage to go against the grain of our self-cherishing stance and to speak and act in ways that nurture and support unity, others, the environment. It takes courage to love unconditionally, that is. And it takes a fearless bodhisattva to uphold the precepts. What does it mean to be a fearless bodhisattva? I want to go back to uh, something I quoted last year from Chongyam Trungpa Rinpoche. Just a few paragraphs of what he wrote about the daily work of a bodhisattva. Just so we are all clear on being on the same page. And he said... Taking the Bodhisattva vow implies that instead of holding our own individual territory and defending it tooth and nail, we become open to the world that we are living in. It means we are willing to take on greater responsibility, immense responsibility. In fact, it means taking a big chance. Taking a big chance because there are no guarantees. We may think, well, I'm going to do good, but after a certain amount of time, I want a certain amount of people to act in this way. And if they don't, well, the hell with that. It didn't work. We take chances. We may be tricked by others. We may be ridiculed. We may be stepped on. Does that mean that it doesn't work? Of course it works. Because we are acting this way already. How can it not work? When we act in ways that are in accordance with the Buddha Dharma, we are already acting in such a way. 
not for later, for now. So how could it not work? But yes, we take a chance. Then he says, but joining this tradition also makes tremendous demands on us. We no longer are intent on creating comfort for ourselves. We work with others. This implies working with our other as well as the other other. Our other is our projections and our sense of privacy and longing to make things comfortable for ourselves. The other other is the phenomenal world outside, which is filled with screaming kids, dirty dishes, confused spiritual practitioners, and assaulted sentient beings. Right? I mean, we can agree with that. That's everybody is included. Those who we think are awakened and those who we think are deluded are equally included because one has no stipulations. There's no one and then those who are outside of that one. It says we have the tremendous power to change the course of the world's karma. So in taking the Bodhisattva vow, we are acknowledging that we are not going to be instigators of further chaos and misery in the world. But we are going to be liberators, bodhisattvas, inspired to work on ourselves as well as with other people. There is tremendous inspiration in having decided to work with others. We no longer try to build up our own grandiosity. We simply try to become human beings who are genuinely able to help others. That is, we develop precisely that quality of selflessness which is generally lacking in the world. It says, in order to drop our self-centeredness, which both limits our view and clouds our actions, it is necessary for us to develop a sense of compassion. Traditionally, this is done by first developing compassion towards oneself. I think we need to highlight that. Then towards someone very close to us. And finally, towards all sentient beings, including our enemies. So it works in circles. It starts with the circle of this one here, and the circle grows and grows and grows and grows to include everyone and everything. This is by taking the Bodhisattva vow, we open ourselves to many demands. If we are asked to help, we should not refuse. If we're invited to be a parent, we should not refuse. In other words, we have to have some kind of interest in taking care of people, some appreciation of the phenomenal world and its occupants. It is not an easy matter. It requires that we do not, that we not be completely tired and put off by people's heavy-handed neuroses, ego dirt, ego puke, or ego diarrhea. Instead, we are appreciative and willing to clean up for them. It is a sense of softness whereby we allow situations to take place in spite of our little inconveniences. We allow situations to bother us 
and to overcrowd us. Now, obviously, this is going against the grain. Right? Why would we do that? It's not what we are used to do. It's not how we function. This is why it is so important to recite the precepts on a regular basis. Jukai has nothing to do with that. Before Jukai, during Jukai, and after Jukai. We keep reciting. We keep learning to rise to the occasion, to the moment. And we keep deepening our understanding of what it means to abide by, to follow the Buddha Dharma, to follow precepts. The precepts begin with the three treasures and then the three pure precepts. And the three treasures correlate very well with the natural progression of Zazen, wisdom, and morality. Zazen awakens us to wisdom and the way wisdom manifests is through morality. Right? So it corresponds with the three treasures. Through Zazen, we realize our original face, our true nature. Through embracing the Dharma, the teachings, we embody wisdom. And by maintaining the Sangha, we practice morality through upholding the precepts. We practice with each other. So we can get better and better at it. So then when we are out functioning with the Mahasangha, with the larger community of the world, we come in with a skill already because we hone the skill. We work on it. Or we don't. That depends how we function with each other. How do we work together as a Sangha? It's a very important question. Because whatever it is we do or don't do, we are going to get better or worse at. So we have to ask, how am I, am I functioning in a way that is, that is raising compassion, kindness, love, care? Am I allowing the practice to teach me unity? How do I practice? And another very important aspect of the precept is the fact that they are considered living vows, which means that they are tested and verified through our own moment-by-moment lives. They are not like Ten Commandments to be followed dogmatically or blindly. We work with the vows in a nimble and appropriate way appropriate way that has to fit the moment rather than the concept or the idea or the book or the sutra or what we think about practice. So we have to be nimble and fit the occasion. So what is the entire teachings of a lifetime? An appropriate response. We may have realizations. We may have some understanding. We may have deep experiences, even can show. But if it's not mobilized, and if it doesn't show up in a nimble, appropriate way, when we do whatever it is we do, when we meet whoever it is that we are meeting, then it remains 
a great experience to be framed and put on a wall, lifeless. That's not the meaning of precepts and that's not following living vows. So what we need to do is examine ourselves on the go, examine our reactivities. We are extremely reactive. Sometimes it shows up, sometimes it remains internal. Sometimes we think we are not expressing it. We are expressing it anyway. But regardless, we have to examine that. And we have to allow for that, give it space. And then again and again, ask, what am I obeying when I feel like saying this? Or am, already, am I already saying that? Or doing this or that? What am I obeying? What am I protecting? What am I afraid of? Am I living my life in accordance with the Dharma? And what does that even mean? So this is what we need to keep working on. So today, in a few minutes, when we recite the precepts together, it's not just recite and memorize. Recite and while we recite the precepts together, this is a practice of being together. This by itself, using our voices, right? We each have very unique voice. We each have very unique karma. Habits. So we share all of it. We share the voice with everybody and we together, together create one extremely unique voice that cannot happen if we don't all give our voices into. So if we don't fully give ourselves, fully give ourselves, there will not be or we will not experience harmony. No commitment, no harmony. Fully committing, we already experienced that. And also fully committing, we're not waiting. It's not an incremental kind of commitment based on the level I think I've achieved or how I feel about the people I'm with. I'll commit. But first, I'm going to stick my finger in the wind. No, it's not what we practice. We spent three months of an ango working with wholeheartedness. That's not random. The essential part of practice to give ourselves fully to the moment. And as Chongyam Trungpa said, to be willing to take a chance. So let's recite with the willingness to take a chance. Thank you.